implicit, explicit. We're going we're gonna to basically kind of call out something that we assume. We assume often and throughout our lives. We know that our mission, we say this all the time, the mission of Merrimack Valley Baptist Church is to make a mature disciples of Jesus Christ until he returns. What's implicit in that statement that I'm going to make explicit in the next slide is this. The mission of Merrimack Valley Baptist Church is to glorify God by making and maturing disciples of Jesus Christ until he returns. It's always been there. It is one of the things that we, I, I was taught, and, and anybody who's probably been to any uh, level of uh, Christian education has been taught, the fact that this, the glory of God is the central goal of all that we do. I could quote the, the, uh, the, the catechism. I could, I could do all kinds of different things. But, but I, I, for this purpose this morning, I just want to say that although in our statement that we rehearse from time to time, uh, it, although it's not there, it's implicit that that's the goal. This makes it explicit, and we'll look at some ways where the implicit needs to be explicit later on in the sermon as well. So as we considered what's, why now, this was not the original series that was going to be after the first John series, uh, but during the, the assessment, when Dr., this is Dr. Ewart's slide from his assessment, he said the ultimate mission of, of Merrimack Valley Baptist Church, and I think this slide was in every, probably, he probably did this for every church he did an assessment for, it says that our ultimate mission is to bring glory to God. When he said that during that Sunday he was with us, it struck me, and I think it struck a few of the other pastors, that, that we don't really talk about this. Uh, it is, he made it explicit in his assessment. And so uh, the, the, the idea was, well, let's go ahead and do a short series on the glory of God because we may or may not understand what that means. We pray about it all the time. We acknowledge it all the time. Do we truly understand what it is? He says that the Great Commission fulfillment and church health are means by which we accomplish the mission to bring glory to God. Certainly when we are uh, going and making maturing disciples, then that is that Great Commission call that we are responded to. We believe all churches that, that are seeking to honor uh, God uh, are, are trying to engage in the Great Commission work of making maturing disciples of Jesus Christ. And, and so that is one of the ways that we glorify God, but there are many other ways where we might uh, glorify God as well. So the glory of God is a dominant theme throughout Scripture, and I'm, trying, I'm hoping to demonstrate that today. Uh, we're going to look at some Psalms. We're going to look at uh, some of the historical uh, narrative. We're going to look at uh, 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 the gospel. Uh, we're going to look at some of the epistles. Uh, a lot of Scripture today, and I hope that thrills your soul because the reading of God's Word and the, and the engagement in it is just a beautiful practice that we ought to do uh, as frequently as we're able. Uh, I wanted to lead you into three psalms today. The first one is Psalm 29. We're going to read through these, not with a lot of comment, but I want you to see as we unpack this reality that the, the theme of the glory of God is, is prevalent, is, is dominant through Scripture. Notice this, Psalm 29, verse 1. <clears throat> excuse me. Give glory, uh, excuse me, <laughs> give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory, do his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like a calf. 
Lebanon, and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and, and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everyone says, glory. I didn't do this first service, but can, one, three. Can you just say glory with me, right? One, two, three. Glory. Oh, come on, folks. Come on. All right. Oh, and listen, this is what the voice of the Lord does. It makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everyone says, glory. Amen. All right. So praise the Lord. That is, we are going to be focusing on this glory of God. It's, pre- it's present in Psalm 29. Uh, he goes on to finish off the psalm. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood. Picture that for a moment. The flood is taking place, and the Lord sat enthroned, and the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. So Psalm 29, maybe familiar, maybe not. Psalm 19, very familiar to many of us. I, I almost just stopped at verse 1 because we can, most of us can quote it. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. When we are walking out in the, at, the, at dusk, or maybe when the stars are, are just starting to come out, and as it gets darker and darker, and if we're away from the lights of the city and the, the stars become brighter and brighter as, as we, we look at the heavens, the very presence of those stars and the planets that we see, they declare the glory of God. There is, for me, there's nothing greater than experiencing the glory of God and through the creation of seeing the stars. I have had many times in my life where it's just been me and God and, 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 and just being in awe of Him because of what He has done by giving us those twinkly little lights uh, in the sky. But it's not just the heavens that declare His glory. We see that the firmament shows His handiwork, right? The, the natural creation that we have around us. We look outside this window. Some people want the tree taken down. Some people would shoot me if I had it taken down, right? You can look out these windows and you see the creation of God. And, you, and we can enjoy it, and we're certainly at that time of year where we can start enjoying the, the brisk uh, outdoors, uh, and, and, and pretty soon it'll be those nice warm days. But these are all declarative of something. They're declarative of God's glory. He goes on to say, day unto day utter speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. Notice the content of what is communicated. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. This is declaring the reality that the general revelation, the creation of God that is all over the world, it declares His presence. And there's no place where it is not declared. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through the earth and their words to the ends of the world. In them He has set a tabernacle for the sun which is like a bridegroom coming out of, the, out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The sun is portrayed as a, as a bridegroom leaving his chamber and a runner sprinting across uh, the circuit, and, and we see that this is something that we see every day. And notice, there is nothing hidden from its heat. This is part of God's declaration of who he is. Then we get into Psalm 115. Psalm 115 is more of a personal uh, response to the presence of God. And I ask you to consider that as you are sitting here this morning and as you're looking at these words. These first words are powerful. 
they're drawing our attention not to ourselves, but to God. He says, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory because of your mercy, because of your truth. Why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? As, as we enter into this, the focus is we are not supposed to be focused on our own glory. We're supposed to be focused on the glory of God. Your name. To your name we give, give glory. And there's this, 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 again, implicit, explicit part of this. He's saying, he says, listen, why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? The, the psalmist is basically calling God and saying, listen, God, make your presence known so the whole world can see it. He goes on to say, but our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. He's a sovereign God. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of, ha- of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have uh, eyes, have they, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. The vanity of idolatry is lived out in the vanity of a person's life who worships them. That's what it's saying there. Those who make them, who make the stone idols, who make the, the wood idols, who who uh, fashion idols or, or call the, uh, the different aspects of creation, uh, they, they seek to worship them. Be, they become vain in their imaginations, and the glory of God is darkened, right? They, 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 God has sent His Son. There's so many texts of Scripture that tell us that we have rejected, that mankind has rejected the Creator God. People will become vain in their imaginations. Romans 1 tells us that, we, that people, they worship the creation rather than the Creator. And that is not what we're called to do. He says, O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. From, from, from time, from the establishment of time, mankind has been called to recognize and respond to the glory of God. Think about this text. This is a familiar text. We preached on it not too long ago as we uh, did our first Corinthians study. I say not too long ago. It was probably over a year ago at this point now. But it's therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It's one of those uh, scripture verses that you'll see uh, on different... I, I I know I would see it every time I left the wilds of North Carolina. They have a sign as you're exiting with this verse on it saying, listen, as you depart, remember this. Do everything to the glory of God. And there are people that have this memorized. And there are people that say, yeah, this is the way I pattern my life. But part of my goal today is to challenge us. Are we actually living this out the way God intends us to? Think about it. Whatever you do, that's, it's all-encompassing. Do everything. We, we are in the context of, of doing something, of action. This is, a, this is a response text of Scripture. We are supposed to respond to this one. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. When we think about the word glory, this is, uh, I, I quoted this, it's, most of it's out of the Holman uh, uh, Bible Dictionary. And just for the sake of working through it, I just quoted a lot of it. But this word glory, it means weighty importance. 
and shining majesty that accompanies God's presence. So when we think of the glory of God, I don't know what comes to mind. And I think oftentimes we would come, like the picture displays, the top of a mountain, light shining. Uh, we'll talk a little bit later about God's presence on Mount Sinai. But, but here we see that this word, it says weighty, it means weighty importance and shining majesty that accompanies God's presence. The basic meaning of the Hebrew word kavod is heavy in weight. Think about that. The glory of God is the the heaviness of weight of God. It's the it's the weightiness is the way I don't know if I put it on a slide, but that's the way I, I've referred to it. And I'll probably refer to it. Is is God's presence in your life? Is it weighty upon you? Are you are you are you aware in some fashion His presence in your life? It says the verb thus often comes to mean give weight to or honor. Such honor that people give to one another is a recognition of the place of an honored person in, in the human community. So, so when we think about the people that we would honor, we, if the president walked through or a congressman or a senator or, or a local magistrate or something, as they come, you know, it would be appropriate for us to give them their just honor, right? Their just glory in the sense of recognizing who they are. And, and that would be okay. And that's what this word can be used for, is the idea of honoring someone. We can honor those who participated. And if I didn't, if I didn't say this at the beginning, let me just thank all those who participated in the clothing event that was a big success this past weekend, who, who, uh, who participated in the, in the rescue mission visitation, you know, the, the tour that went through. You know, there's so many things in the giving that has taken place, right? Thank you for all that. You are due an appropriate level of honor and respect for what you've done. That is a normal way to use this word. He goes on to say, this is not so much something someone bestows on another as it is a quality of importance that a person, group, or nation has. They, they, they possess this and which another recognizes. And, and this will be important as we go on. So it's to, to have this glory, to, they, you know, the president to walk in here, he has the honor of being president. It's, it's part of who he is, and we would all know it as soon as he walked into the room. To give glory is to praise. And this is where we're transitioning into this idea of giving glory to God. We're not there yet, but to give glory is to praise, to recognize the importance of another the weight the other carries in the community. So we have, we have some people, when I say we, this is rhetorical, right? This is, we have people at work. We have people in different gatherings. We have people within our families. They feel like their presence is much more weightier than maybe others, right? They make their presence known. They, they like to consider themselves uh, a big fish in a small pond or maybe a big fish in a big pond. I don't know. But this is the idea that there's a, this idea of glory can both be used positively and negatively, but it's the idea of it's intended to be given from one to another uh, within the community. But now, let's just focus on this in relationship to God. God can never be accused of claiming glory that He does not deserve. All glory is God's. All glory is due Him. In the Psalms, people give such glory to God. They recognize the essential nature of His Godness, right? He is God, we are not. That gives Him importance and weight in relationship to the human worshiping community. When we come together here week after week, whether it be Sunday or Wednesday or whenever, or gathering in small group Bible studies or in different homes, listen, we are, we are to remember, we are to call into uh, awareness the presence of God in our assembly no matter how big or how small. It is part of what we call this corporate worship is the gathering of, our, of this human community to give 
the due weight and honor and glory to God for who he is. Glory is thus that side of God. This is still quoting uh, uh, Chad Brand here. Glory is, is thus that side of God which, what, notice this, humans recognize and to which humans respond. And so this is, this is as we go through this series, it is a, uh, you may have heard the term revelation and response. If God has revealed himself, we are called to respond in some fashion. There is never a time where the word of God goes forth, where God is not revealing something to us that we are not called to respond to him, to respond to his truth, to respond to his presence, to respond to his rebuke, to respond to his faithfulness, to respond to them. We are called to respond. But notice, we have to recognize he's here first and that he's always here. Now, uh, Chad Brand, who wrote this, he says that humans recognize and respond and that the the response that says in confession, worship, and praise. And and so I kind of built off of that that, that little uh, focus that he had to come up with this. An awareness of God's presence, it's a prerequisite for genuine worship. You came here today. I came here today to worship. And we call this our corporate worship time. And it is just that. But how do we know that we are corporately worshiping? How do we know that what we've come here to participate in is actually happening? Because there are many churches who come together and they have no sense of the presence of God in their midst. They come together and they go through their emotions. They'll call them sacraments. They'll call them uh, liturgies. And I'm not even saying that those are bad words. I'm I'm not saying those are bad words. I'm saying that people will engage in those activities and will have no sense of the presence of God in their midst. How dare the genuine children of God enter into a time of corporate worship and not have an awareness of God's presence. That is what we are called to have. But not just here and now, but in every moment of every day of our life, we can can have this awareness of God. And this awareness of God is that prerequisite for worship, for genuine worship. What do I mean by genuine worship? The worship that God will receive. The worship that God will say, well done. The worship that God will say, Yes, I am being glorified by my people. So as we consider this text, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We must have an awareness of God's presence before our actions can honor Him. Listen, if we're going to say, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whatever activity, however you want to flesh this out, every aspect of your life, for it to actually bring glory, my first point is this. We must have an awareness of God's presence before our actions can honor Him. And so we're going we're to walk through uh, some text of Scripture. Some of it will be on the screen. Some of it I'm just going to walk you through the story. All right? What does an awareness of God's presence look like? I said that the glory of God is a, is a dominant theme throughout of all Scripture. So let's consider some, some biblical stories here. All right? Consider Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. The presence of God is known after the fall. They knew the presence of God beforehand. There was nothing interrupting their fellowship. There was nothing between them. There was, it was pure and wonderful and lovely. 
But then they fell into sin, and then God shows up. And what did Adam and Eve do? What, what awareness when God's saying, what, 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 how did they respond to that? They hid themselves from his presence, remember? They, they fashioned clothes to cover their nakedness. And, and, and God said, where are you? And he said, why are you hiding? Well, we knew we'd sinned, and, and, and we see that, that, that whole story unfold. We see the story of the nation of Israel at the base of Mount Sinai. Now, I have this text. I'll, I'll, we'll walk through part of it here, actually in two stages. But in the first stage, remember this. We, we went through the study in Exodus where God comes on the scene and, and, he, and he gives the, the Ten Commandments and He makes His presence known in this mighty, mighty way where, where uh, the mountain is just looks like a furnace with smoke just spewing forth from it. And in the book of Deuteronomy... Uh, which is the second giving of the law, Moses reminds the nation of Israel about this experience. He says in, in um, well, first of all, we see that their response, I should have said this, they feared for their lives, as we probably would have too if we had been in their midst. This nation of Israel, as they see this amazing spectacle in front of them, they feared for their lives. In Deuteronomy 5, starting in verse 23, it says, so it was, this is Moses rehearsing to the Israelites, when you heard the voice from the midst of the darkness... While the mountain was burning with fire, that you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders, and you said, Surely the Lord our God has showed us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God speaks with man, yet he still lives. Now, therefore, why should we die? They were fearing for their lives. For this great fire will consume us if we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, then we shall die. They were overwhelmed by the presence of God. It weighed heavy on them. For who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and lived? And their expected answer was, nobody. Moses, we can't handle this. We will die if we hear another word from God's mouth. Think about David leading the procession of the Ark of the Covenant. There was two processions of the Ark of the Covenant. The first, the second one was what we read earlier in the Scripture reading. And we'll, we'll look at that again in just a moment. But in the, in the first one, Think about this. How was the awareness of God's presence made known? And what was the response that took place? Well, the first procession of the Ark of the Covenant ended up with Uzzah falling dead and David fearing God. That was the first one. Think about that moment. If, uh, if you have your Bibles, I don't have it on the screen, but on, in 1 Chronicles 13, 9, it says, And when they came to Chidon, Uh, Chidon's threshing floor, Uzzah put his hand to hold the ark for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah and he struck him because he put his hand to the ark and he died there before God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. Therefore, that place is called Perez, Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of God that day, saying, how can I bring the ark of God to me? So David would not move the ark with him into the city of David, but took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. 
The ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house three months, and the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. This was that first journey. Remember, the ark of the covenant had been had been uh, uh, it, it had gone to the Philistines, and they had re, they had gotten it back. And and uh, the uh, I'm not going to go into the whole story. It's an amazing story. Read it in First Chronicles 16. But here we see David. He was very happy to have the ark of God back. Let's bring it into Jerusalem. I've, I've created a tent. I've created a dwelling place for it. Let's bring it in. The oxen stumble. Uzzah reaches out, and we all have compassion on Uzzah and his family because he died there on the spot. And the question is, why would God do such a thing? But it was by God doing such a thing that he made his presence known. And it got everybody's attention. And Uzzah fell dead, and David feared God. Think about Isaiah and his vision of the temple in Isaiah 6. Again, we're not going to read it, but we know that in the year King Uzziah died, uh, Isaiah has this vision. Uh, we see the, the, he sees the glory of God in the temple. And what is, uh, what is Isaiah's response? He falls to his knees. He says, I can't handle this. I'm a, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm, in a, I'm surrounded by a people of unclean lips. And he falls to his knees. And rightfully so. Because he was in the presence of God. So when we have an awareness of God's presence, which is what we've been talking about to this point, and our response honors him, our actions become worship. So that, I'm going to leave that on the slide there for a minute. Let me just talk for a minute about what happens when we have an awareness of God's presence and a response that does not honor him takes place. That's the Romans chapter 1. They became futile, futile in their own understanding, right? Their foolish hearts were darkened. They have seen the God. They, they could understand the Godhead, but they rejected it. They rejected God. And so we know that that is not worship. That is worship of self. And folks, we live in a world that is characterized by self-worship. We no longer fashion idols out of wood and stone. We fashion idols out of, out of things that, that, are, that our hearts long for. And if we're not careful, even we are, uh, can, can slip into an idolatrous uh, view of, of the things going on in our life, and we can seek the things that we want rather than the things that God wants. But when we are aware of God's presence and we respond correctly, we respond properly, we respond in a way that says, God, your presence is weighty upon me. I know that whatever is taking place in my life, you are here. Now, when I think of this, I think of a story of a friend of mine. I've shared this with you before, and I'll keep it brief. But when Conrad was diagnosed with spine cancer, his son could not handle the news that his superhero dad was more than likely going to die. So his 16-year-old son took his life in the backyard, and mom found him. In that moment, you can't, the, the, the unimaginable pain that was taking place in that family, everyone was in touch with it. As some who knew these people, we just couldn't believe what had taken place. A friend of mine was, was Conrad's chaplain. And he was ministering to, to Conrad and his wife in, in, uh, in response to this. 
and he was relaying the story to me lately, and he, uh, I mean, after, after the fact, and he said, he said, Greg, it was unbelievable. We are walking down the, the, the valley, we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, and, and next thing I know, we're in the gospel, and they are responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they are coming to faith in Jesus Christ in my presence. He said it was glorious. Who would think that going through such a difficult, horrific time in their life, that is when they would comprehend the presence of God in their life and respond in faith to what Jesus Christ had done on their behalf. We would think in that moment, and I was listening to a preacher this past week, and, and that, that was his illustration. He was saying he has been through similar circumstances like that, and he said, we think that in those deepest, darkest times of despair that people just need a comforting word from the Lord. And this particular preacher was saying, it was the words of God's love and sovereignty and power and mightiness that came, on the scene, that came on the scene and anchored these people to the reality of who God is. It was that awareness that gave them hope. It was that awareness that enabled them to persevere through this time. So when we have an awareness of God's presence in our, in our life, listen, folks, we don't have to go through the dark times, but praise the Lord that He is there for us in the dark times. We have the Great Commission, right? We are supposed to go. Make disciples. And Jesus promises that at the end of that, he says, and I, lo, I will be with you to the end of the age. Jesus has promised us his presence for all eternity. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, there is never a time that you are not outside. There is never a time where you are outside the presence of God. He is always there. Jesus is always there. And so when we have an awareness of God's presence like we've been promised and we can take God at His word and our response honors Him, in other words, we are responding to that truth in, the, in, in any given moment, that becomes an act of worship. We are acknowledging God for who He is and we are saying, God, this matters. So think, let's, what does a proper response to God's presence look like? Well, let's go through the story again. Adam and Eve outside the garden. Remember, their sin forced them out of the garden. And, and there's no text of Scripture that says they live happily ever after. Right? There's, there's not one verse I can put up there to explain this. But let me just explain it this way. They had a son named Seth, and he honored God. Remember, Cain killed Abel? Right? Then, then Seth comes on the scene, and it's through, through the lineage of Seth that we have Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah. So we can see that a proper response to God's presence is a mom and dad raising their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I'm going to say Adam and Eve did that because Seth had to understand who God was, and he probably was taught that through his parents. I can't give you chapter and verse, but I work with me here. All right. Next, nation of Israel at the base of Mount Sinai. We just saw the amazing spectacle that was transpiring in their response. But, but what does a proper response to God's presence look like in that situation? Well, they committed to obey God. It was beautiful. Look at these words. Verse 27 of, of Deuteronomy 5. You go near. These are the people talking to, to Moses. You go near and hear all that the Lord our God may say. And tell us all that the Lord our God says to you. We don't want to hear them for ourselves. And we will hear and do it. They committed to obey God. They're saying, no, 
We are aware of His presence. We are humbled in His presence. We, we recognize the heaviness, the weightiness of His glory and majesty. Moses, you go do. We will listen to you, and we will do what He says. God honors that. He says, Then the Lord heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me, and the Lord said to me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. He's saying their, their response, He approves of it. God approved the response of the Israelites at that moment. But notice, God has full understanding of all things. He says, oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep my commandments, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. God knew the future. He knew that these people were going to be sinning. In a matter of hours or days, days, in a matter of days, they're going to be worshiping a golden calf. Now, granted, all that had already taken place. Uh, Moses is reminding him of all this. All right? So we can see that what does a proper response to God's presence look like? Well, it looks like good parenting. It looks like responding in a worshipful manner. But think about David leading the procession of the Ark of the Covenant. This is that second procession. This is the one that I took the words out of in First uh, Chronicles uh, 16. Uh, verses, I think we started in verse 23. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Proclaim the good news of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His wonders among the people. Right? Declare His glory. David, leading the procession the second time. How did he respond to the second time? God's, God, the awareness of God's presence came upon him when Uzzah died. He was very aware. How did he respond? David had the Levites carry the ark. David went back to the basics. He went back to the Word of God, and he saw very clearly God had described there's only one legitimate way to carry the ark of a God. It's by God's ordained carriers, which are the Levites. And they carried it by the poles, and they ushered in this procession into uh, the city of Jerusalem, and it was glorious. And David is dancing, and he's, he's, they're singing. They're, they're, they're playing instruments. And Michael, David's wife, despised David in her heart. What was going on with that? Well, her response to the presence of God was not one that was honoring God, but David's did, and ours can as well. What about Isaiah in the vision of the temple of God, right? What was his response? The presence of God, the awareness of God's presence came upon him, and what did he do? He fell to his knees. And then what transpired in the story? The, an angel took a coal from off the, the, the altar, came and touched Isaiah's lips and said, Thou art clean, your iniquity has been forgiven. And how did, how did that news impact Isaiah? He responded to the call of God upon his life. He says, God says, Who will go? And Isaiah says, Send me. Here I am, send me. That was, this is a proper response. I don't, this is just illustrative of, of all that we learn through Scripture. This is illustrative of what you have going on in your life. You are called to a response. As Isaiah was, so aren't we all. What does a proper response to God's presence look like in the New Testament? I'm just going to walk through this text. We're going to look at uh, just very briefly, actually. John chapter 4, one of my favorite chapters in Scripture. It's Jesus interacting with the Samaritan woman at the well. 
And as we look at these verses, look at how the presence of God is made known in her life. It says, The woman said to him, speaking to Jesus, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you, and, you, you, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is a place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we, uh, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and get this, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus responds, I who speak to you am he. In that moment, the Samaritan woman who, who had lived a, a, probably an adulterous and idolatrous life is confronted with the presence of God the Son, and she's going to respond. But let's just pause for a moment here and say, isn't it fascinating that Jesus spoke so plainly to her. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. I am the promised one of God. When he had not spoken so clearly to his disciples and to the religious leaders. She is given an opportunity to respond with revelation that others had not necessarily been confronted with. And notice how she responds. The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And we see in many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. And notice this. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. We talk about disciples who make disciples who make disciples. This is Jesus who made a disciple. She went forth and spoke to others who became disciples. And what do you think they did with their faith in Jesus Christ? They also made disciples. We are called of God to, to be aware of his presence and to respond. And this is just one way. What, do, what does the presence of God in our lives and awareness of the presence of God in our life do in the New Testament and in, the, and in the 21st century? It gives us confidence to step out in faith and do what God has called us to do and be who God has called us to be. So I want to just remind you of this big idea. An awareness of God's presence is a prerequisite for genuine worship. How are you doing in recognizing God's presence in your life? If you need some help, God thankfully gives us some help. He gives us what we call uh, doxologies. And what I want to talk about here is why focus on the glory of God? Because we need to make implicit, we need to make explicit what's implicit, right? Let me just say it, to make the implicit explicit. I, I messed it up. Work with me again, all right? That's why we need to do it. But we don't only need to do it because it's our mission to make a mature disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. We need to make this explicit in our lives. 
uh, with these, uh, in the New Testament, we have a number of doxologies. So we're, gonna, we're actually winding down the sermon here. I'm looking at the time. We're good. All right. We're winding it down. I'm going to ask you to remain seated. But at one point, I'm going to ask you to stand. All right. So be ready for that. Um, I had the whole first service stand, and I realized I had them standing for a long time. But I will ask you, as we go through the next number of Scripture passages, embrace them, enjoy them, enter into them, respond to them internally, respond to them externally. I'm going to be raising my hands most of this time, all right? By the way, there's nothing wrong with raising hands, okay? All right? Because we're going to enter into, when we think about God making His glory and His, and His presence known, it wasn't by accident. The Holy Spirit spoke through different people, and they wrote things down, and they wrote them for us. And throughout the New Testament, we have these doxologies, these words inspired by the Holy Spirit to awaken us and to enliven us to the presence of God. So let's enjoy them together. All right? You can sit. <laughs> There's no way I can sit reading these. Oh, the depth of the riches, both the wisdom, uh, excuse me. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Romans 16. Now to him who was able to establish you according to my gospel, Paul writes, according to the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest, the mystery has been revealed, and by the prophetic scripture made known to all nations according to the command of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. To God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Ephesians 3. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. To Him be glory to the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. 1 Timothy 6. He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Hebrews 13. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Jude 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forevermore. 
Amen. And lastly, Revelation 1, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen and amen and amen. It is true. Are you aware of the presence of God? When you doubt, turn to Scripture. When you doubt, go and read these doxologies and say, these people had an an amazing awareness of God's presence and it motivated them for their entire life. And we have the same Spirit able to motivate us. So having said that, I'm going to ask you to stand. You probably saw this coming. Let us sing. I, I don't know about you. This is, these words have had an impact on my life. I've done this once or twice before. I'll do it once or twice more times. But when you are alone, and you are in despair, and you are questioning all the questions of life, and maybe you're here this morning, and you, are, you just do not even know God. These words, these are not Scripture, but it's talking about Scripture, and it's a way for us to respond. So I invite you today. Will will you respond with me? Will you join me as we sing this hymn of doxology in response to the truth and the power of God's majesty in our presence? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you that there's never a time as a child of God that we are outside of your presence. We may have wandered. Lord, we're prone to wander. We may be forgetful. We haven't opened your word. There's any number of reasons why in our flesh we might drift from you. But as Hebrews chapter 2 tells us, how can we neglect so great a salvation? Father, I pray that as we continue to focus on your glory over the coming weeks, that you will do your work in and through us. Lord, as we go into this week, as we go into this afternoon, as we go into this business meeting, Father, we pray that we would be aware of your presence and that you desire us to respond to you in a way that truly honors the weightiness of your presence, your majesty, your glory, your power. Father, I pray that if anyone here today does not know, they do not know you, 
They have not come to faith in Jesus Christ. They do not understand what sin is and, and how it, it is an offense to you. Lord, I pray that as they're sitting here wondering, what is this thing going on in the midst? Lord, I pray that they would recognize your power as you draw them to yourself and that they would respond, I am a sinner and I need salvation. Father, as you promise your presence to that one, we pray that you would glorify yourself in the saving of that one and the saving of many. And Lord, may they recognize and may they call out to you In humility, Lord, save me, a sinner. And then believe wholeheartedly that Jesus Christ died on that cross to pay for their sin. And he rose again in fulfillment of the scriptures, ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of the God, and your right hand is coming again. Lord, I pray that as, as, though, as every one of us in, engage in the reality of who Jesus is and what he has done, may we respond in faith. And may you be glorified through it. Lord, thank you for this time we've had in your word. May you be glorified as we sing this song, and may you be glorified in the remainder of this service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.